support in prayer for me. I met a missionary called Barbara Rivers. She was putting some pictures and video of the five American missionaries that they were killed in Ecuador by the Indians in the jungle. When I saw the picture in the face of the missionaries, I started crying. And I said to Lord, I do nothing. I'm only going to church. And these people came far away from their own country and died because of love of our people. So I said to the Lord, here I am. I want to be a missionary, missionaries like Barbara Rivers, that was a mother, very real mother. I learned how to go places where there's nothing and start something. So I realized not only in Ecuador need to be saved everywhere. So I became pray for India. I was the first Latino to go. I went for 12 years. One thing God told me to preach the gospel not to be locked in my house. If I want to be locked in my house, I stay in my country. I came back from India. The IMB missionary received me, Guy Mills and Linda, and a friend from Guatemala. He told me, the Lord take you back to Latin America to not be just one Julietas, you know, hundreds of Julietas. Send Latinos to the nations. And after that, it started Impacto Mundial. We do mobilization, training, and sending missionaries to the nations. I believe we are global Christians. Jesus told us to go to the nations, to preach to everyone and everywhere and every time. My dream is to see every church be mobilized to become a missionary church. It's my dream. Maybe we hit it, maybe we don't. I don't know. There's, there's, there's no pins. There's no pizza party. It's just a thing. So whatever you can do to help um, would be greatly appreciated. Also on the subject of giving, uh, we are currently taking a benevolence offering through the month of December for uh, a family, part of our community, that, uh, that could use a little help. So, uh, you know, as you give your regular offering, as maybe you contribute to Lottie Moon, if you got a little bit extra this holiday season and you want to put it somewhere, that would be a great place to put it. Three, Christmas Eve, next Saturday night, right here, 6.30. Christ Community Church Christmas Eve service. You got Christmas singing, you got multimedia, you got Charlie Brown, you got the candle lighting. It's all good. It's never been not good. And so I encourage you to be here for that. I encourage you to bring a friend. If you are joining us online, I want to encourage you, be here online. But if at all possible, find some way to come and be here in this place because it's special and there's something else that happens when we are all here on Christmas Eve. And then lastly, I want to remind you 
because inevitably there will be somebody who will miss this. Sunday, January 1st, we start meeting at 11 o'clock. So don't show up at 10 o'clock. Don't show up at your, you know, your usual like 10, 15, 10, 20. 11 o'clock. So show up at 11, 15, 11, 20 if you're one of those. 11 o'clock in the new year. Uh, we are moving an hour back to uh, hopefully give people with littles, you know, littles need a little extra time in the morning. So hopefully we give you that extra hour and we can encourage those families with littles to bring them in because going into the new year, I can guarantee focus on kids, focus on student ministry, focus on arts is going to continue to be a part of what we do and who we are. All right, blah, 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 enough of that. Uh, we got one more video. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great O Come, O Come, Emmanuel video, and then we will kick off with the music. So, Vonda, if you could hit that funky video, please.
right, it's really bright, but as far as I can tell, I don't think we have anybody that would be interested in going to Kids World, so. Oh, my bad, no, uh, by all means. Kids, get thee to Children's World. We are in the fourth and final week of Advent. Um, and again, you know, every time we do, I don't know how long we've been like actually doing Advent. I, I come from a tradition where Advent wasn't a thing. It was like Christmas time and then Christmas. And then at some point years ago, we started doing this Advent thing. And I still regularly, several times throughout the Advent season, have to go back and look up, okay, what is Advent again? And uh, it's it's just time of preparation. Uh, somewhere I actually read that initially when Advent first came to be a thing, it was not actually connected to Christmas. Uh, there's some uh, research out there that indicates it probably originated in um, the Iberian Peninsula, you know, Spain, Portugal, in that area. And typically back a long time ago, what they used to do is they, they sort of had an annual day of baptism. It wasn't like this willy-nilly thing we do now where we're just going to fill up the baptistry and you baptize anytime you want to. It was like, it was a thing. And there was a day for baptism. And in that time leading up to the baptism of new converts, there was a season of preparation, a season of prayer, a season of fasting, a season of preparing yourself to present yourself to the Lord. And so it should be with us. Uh, you know, we have Jesus with us all the time. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But I think, uh, geez, we're Americans. We totally take this stuff for granted. We take everything for granted. It's who we are. It's in our American DNA. And so, too, with Jesus. We, we He's such a part of our lives, we sort of, start to kind of forget them a little bit. And so it's good in this few weeks leading up to Christmas that he, we, we treat Christmas as a time when Jesus is re-entering our life, re-emphasizing himself, and we should prepare ourselves for that. This is Jesus Christ. We should prepare ourselves for the Lord. And so we are in the last week. We have been going through the first chapter of Luke. In the fourth week, we have gone through one chapter because it's a chapter of like 293 verses. It is, I mean, I don't know. Apparently, Luke didn't have an editor. I don't know what happened. But he just kept telling the story. And at no point did he take a break. No point did he pause. He just told it all the way through. So from the outset when God says, hey, I'm going to do this thing, to all the way when we're about to have Jesus born, like just like one shot all the way through we're lucky there was any punctuation in there and so primarily what chapter one focuses on is two forthcoming births uh, each one is foretold each one will occur and there's there's events that surround them and the first is john the baptist jesus's cousin precedes him by about six months and we talked about him briefly extensively i don't talk about anything briefly uh, last time and I just kind of want to go back over what happened. Zechariah, who would come to be the father of John the Baptist, was on duty in the temple. He was doing his thing. Angel Gabriel showed up and said, dude, we're up there. We're listening. We heard your prayer. You're a good guy. You fit into our plans. We're going to give you a kid. Zechariah is like, I don't know, man. I'm really old. And... Gabriel gets a little snarky. He gets a little miffed. He's like, wings, right? You see, I'm an angel. I don't show up to mess with people. And I said this. And just the fact that I said this in the temple and I got wings, you should have paid attention to me. But you doubted. So now you can't speak for the next nine months. And he's struck dumb. He, no, not a word. He's got like the little tablet. 
I don't know how easy it was. I mean, it wasn't like a whiteboard. I don't know if they had chalk or if, like, he had to carve everything. He's writing in the sand. No talking for nine months. But Gabriel says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. He's going to be a Nazarite. He doesn't say that, but you will not cut his hair. He will drink no wine. He is set apart for service to God. And you will name him John, which in and of itself is weird because typically in that day when sons were born, they would bear a family name. We're going to see that there comes a point when it's, he, he's been born and it comes time to name him. And Zechariah is indicating he's going to be called John. And Elizabeth, his mother, says he's going to be called John. And everybody around him is going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not how things are done. How often do we miss God's blessing because we have a certain image of how things are done? And God says, I don't fit in your box. So, John is born. They name him John. And it's like in that moment, in that show of faith, where Zechariah has, has fulfilled the instructions he has received, he regains his voice. And all of a sudden, the words just begin pouring out of him. And verses like 50, uh, 67 through 75 are essentially a song of praise and to God and glorification of God. And he's just pouring out all this praise and glory to God for what God has done. It's actually a little bit of trivia for you. Probably won't show up on Jeopardy, but if it does, you are going to look genius. It's called the Benedictus. That comes from Latin. I'm not going to bore you anymore with that. But John doesn't, uh, Zechariah doesn't stop speaking there. He has is, he is spent about eight verses, nine verses, pouring out praise and glory and honor on God. And then he speaks to his son. And he offers a prophecy. Uh, in verse, where are we? We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. All right, there's nothing new there. That's what we talked about last time. John came to prepare the way. Jesus was coming. Jesus had important work to do, but Jesus is on a clock. Jesus has got three years, and so we need some infrastructure laid. We need some work done ahead of time. We need an advanced team, and that's John the Baptist. John comes, and he starts telling people, hey, you need to repent. Hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, the one you have waited for so long is almost here. And he starts preparing people's minds and their hearts to receive what it is Jesus will bring. And we already talked about that. And it's our job, in our day and age, we need to be prepared. Because just as John was a forebearer of the work Jesus was going to do, so we are the forebearer of the work God is going to do. God is going to work through our actions. And God doesn't always give us a lot of heads up. Sometimes you don't know what God wants you to do until the moment he calls you to do it. And that's why we need to be prepared. Remember, I told you to be prepared each and every day. You start out one, give thanks. Be grateful to God for what you have and who you are and where you are. Two, pray for your day. Pray for the plans you have for yourself. Pray for the paths you're going to take. But three, pray for his plans for your day. Because it's real easy to get so caught up in our agenda that we miss his. And so if we have entered into our day with a spirit of thanksgiving in our hearts, we have prepared ourselves, we have prayed for ourselves, and we have prayed, God, make me a vessel of your work. Use me today as you see fit. We are much more likely to, in the moment when God says, we're much more likely to hear it and be prepared to respond. So we're supposed to be prepared, just as John prepared. John came to prepare us to be prepared, but prepared 
to do what? What are you supposed to be prepared to do? And that's what I want to talk about this morning because Zechariah tells us. As a matter of fact, it's the very next thing he says. Picking up in verse 78. John is going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John is preparing the people of his world for a new dawn for a day spring for the coming of a new sunrise they have lived so long in darkness they have been waiting if you don't know the last book of the old testament anybody michael did i say new okay good job last book of the old testament malachi the monkey in the box. Look at you go. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And after the last word and the last period in the book of Malachi, there is nothing but silence from God for the next 400 years. Not a word. Not a single prophet. Not one sign that we know of from God, not one spoken word, not one new revelation, just silence. And in that 400 years, what's happened? Israel has fallen apart. They have gone into exile. They have come, uh, come back from exile. Israel has disappeared. Judah is all that's left. Judah has gone into exile. Judah has come back. Judah goes through a whole kind of internecine nonsense with, no, we're going to be in charge. And I think we should be in charge. Well, I think we'd be better in charge. You know what? We should just fight about it. And whoever lives, they can be in charge. So they go through that nonsense. And then the Romans. And then nobody's in charge. Nobody expects the Romans. They should have. And so Israel finds themselves an oppressed people in their own country with no sign that anybody is coming to save them. God has checked out. They continue to do their thing. They continue to offer the offerings in the temple. They continue to be faithful. I'm sure some were faithful. Some just, this is what we do. This is how we do it. We'll just keep doing what we do because we got nothing else to do. They have dwelt in darkness. They have lost hope. But then John comes and John says, prepare yourselves. Because hope is coming. Prepare yourselves because we are on the verge of a new dawn. A new sunrise. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, they have been sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. But the dawn has come to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it was, it wasn't the amazing blessing you would have thought at the time. Because as we know, the Messiah they got was the Messiah they needed, but not the Messiah they were looking for. See, they had a Messiah box. This is what the Messiah looks like. And Jesus didn't fit. And so what should have been a glorious blessing, the restoration of God's people sort of went on the, under the radar for a lot. 
a lot of them totally missed it. I mean, they saw something on the news about Passover and there were some crucifixions and stuff, but other than that, eh. And this should mean something to us. This should resonate with us right now because it's dark out there, folks. It's real easy to look at our world and go, where is the hope? Where is the light? And, 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 and it's out there. It's out there. There is light. There is hope. There is peace. There is goodness. There is beauty happening in the world. But the world doesn't want you to know it. That's why you look at mass communications and social media and you get all the bad news. And the closest you can come to like the good news is cat videos. Cat videos are the closest we have to good news, and I hate cats. But I'll watch cat video. Because in, in 42 seconds of a cat video, there's a little bit of, of levity. There's a little bit of hope. There's a little bit of joy. We are living in a darkness. We are overcome by the shadow of death. And there are too many people in our world looking for the hope, and they can't find it where is the hope jesus said i am the light of the world why is our world so dark if jesus is the light of the world something's not working the way it's supposed to we can't say at least i'm not i mean i said some foolish things I said some foolish things from right here. But I'm not going to be the one to say Jesus isn't doing what Jesus is supposed to do. So clearly that is not the issue. Jesus is the light of the world. And yet our world is dark. But Jesus also says, in the Sermon on the Mount, I really hope, we do Sermon on the Mount again sometime soon because there is nothing that so beautifully describes and defines and encapsulates what the kingdom of God looks like in this plane we're dwelling in right now as the Sermon on the Mount. If you want hope, if you want joy, if you want to know what Christian life should look like, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Jesus just said, I, Jesus, am the light of the world. But now Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It. Because see, in that passage right there, we have sort of, we have sort of reached a defining moment. I mean, I got, I got what passes in this place for a lot of amens. When I said we're living in a world of darkness, everybody seemed to be on board with that. It's dark out there. We live in a darkened world, a world of hopelessness and lostness. Dark. Lacking light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. It's not Jesus keeping the light from getting into the world so I mean you're, you're probably I mean, we're together on this right you see where I'm going with this see, see the problem is not him the problem is us Jesus expects that we are going to be the ones that take the light of Jesus Christ out into a lost and dark and lonely dying world 
And if the world is still dark, it's because his light is not being taken. Last week I told you we need to live prepared as servants, prepared to do the bidding of the master. This is the bidding of the master. We are to be light bearers. We are to go out, and how do we, you weren't prepared for this? I didn't send study notes, but I'm going to try it. Pop quiz, hot shot. How do we bear the light of Jesus Christ to the world? What two things do we have to do? Love God and love people. That is what it means to be a light bearer. You go out into the world and you brashly, openly, freely love the people that God puts before you. I mean, imagine if you lived this way. Imagine if you lived in such a way that you felt like God was right behind you. Or let's say the Holy Spirit was within you. And you went through your day like the Holy Spirit was going, that one. Okay, now that one. Okay, that one over there. And every single person that came within your sphere of influence, you said, I'm going to love this person. I don't know how. I'm going to find a way to love this person. And sometimes it's big things. Some, the, the more you know them, the more familiar you are, sometimes the bigger you can do. Sometimes that random stranger, a smile, a kind word. An acknowledgement that I see you, you're not invisible in the world, I see you and I recognize your value. And I hope and I wish and I pray for joy and peace in your life. That is loving people. And then, when they recognize what you're doing, see, we are not the light, we are a light. What are we to do? We're to direct back to the light. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When they see your good works, when they see your light, they are seeing the light of God that is directed through you. In the whole vast scheme of things, we are nothing but a conduit. You are a delivery system for the work and the blessing and the light of God. You, yourself, don't have to do anything but be available. You are a garden hose. You are not the source of the water. You are not the water itself. You simply pass the water from the source to where it's needed. That is what God calls to you. That is what you are prepared to do each and every day. And that sometimes means you have to forget about yourself for a minute. If you have come to a point where you have started your day realizing, you know what? I am so grateful because all that God has blessed me with. I have, I have submitted my day and my way to God. And I have told God I am here to be available, to be used as you see fit. Get your stuff out of it. He's going to handle your stuff. God is good and faithful to take care of his servants. Forget about your stuff for a minute and say, how can I be focused outward instead of inward? That is how you be a light. And then when they see your light go, that's not my light. I'm just reflecting his light. And so as we come into the last week, particularly this last week of Advent, this last week before Christmas, see, it's not coincidence. It's not happenstance that the last week before Christmas becomes insane. Doesn't it, isn't it always like, no matter how much you prepped, no matter how much you got out in front, no matter how much you started the day after Thanksgiving, 
or for those of you that have some sort of undiagnosed mental illness, you started like, I don't know, the beginning of November or something. No matter how much prepared, it seems like this last week just snowballs on you. And there's this that needs to be done, and that needs to be done. And there never seems to be a moment of peace. That is the darkness. The darkness doesn't want you to have peace. The darkness doesn't want you thinking about Jesus Christ. The darkness doesn't want you thinking about the coming dawn. The darkness doesn't want you thinking about being a light. The darkness wants you distracted. So this week, I want you to focus and do what you got to do. I'm not saying don't. You know, make those cookies, do your shopping. Guys, now might be a good time to start thinking about what you're going to get the wife for Christmas. But take a moment. Take several moments. Take moments every day to direct your attention back to him. Ask him to direct your attention where it needs to go. See, this whole God thing is cyclical. We don't actually do anything. Everything God wants us to do, he's leading us to it. He's preparing the way to what he wants us to do. He will empower us to do it. And then we direct the glory back to him. It's just this big wheel in the sky that like keeps on turning. Thank you. At least two. That's what I want you to focus on this week. Do what you got to do, but God, prepare me. Prepare me for the coming dawn. Prepare me to be a light. Prepare me that as I go out into the dark world, I can take your light with me. I can let it shine forth. And particularly, there's never a time in the year when people are more receptive to Jesus Christ. You can even play songs about Jesus on the radio and not the Christian stations. They're not all good versions. Some of them should not be played. But people are open to hearing the name Jesus Christ. People are opening. Now more than any other time during the year, even more than Easter, now people are more open and receptive to the idea of the invitation to church. And if you go, you know what, Christmas Eve, nothing but singing and videos. Nobody's even going to say anything that's going to step on your toes. This week, prepare to go and be the light in the darkness because the darkness and those living in it so desperately need that light. Uh, we're going to run a quick little video, and while the video is running, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. We're going to do one more song, and then we will be dismissed. Rhonda, if you could.
all the more beautiful if you're here with us. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In the light and the love, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Y'all go and have a good week. <laughs>